Pricing is all about look and feel and judgments that people are making and feelings that we have. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to run and grow your firm. Welcome to episode 370 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. We are coming close to the end of this year. We have two more episodes to do today and next week before our big break in December and January. Over the next two episodes, let's talk with Reza Huda, the host of the podcast Transform Your Profits and also a very well-known coach for accountants. If you don't listen to Reza's podcast yet, please do so. Search for Transform Your Profits and have a listen in. It's really helpful. We also featured Reza's podcast in the top 10 podcasts for accountants for 2020, which of course is already a very long time ago, but still worthwhile to listen in if you want to get a taste of what Reza sounds like. But I highly recommend you this podcast. Today and next week, let's do things slightly different. Let's take snippets from Reza's podcast and also an interview he did with David Cristello in the Jetpack Workflow podcast. Let's take snippets, play those and then get Reza to drill deeper, ask Reza questions about those comments he made. In total, we have eight topics and the first one will tell you how Reza started as a normal accountant drowning in work and then worked quite a few things out that we can learn from. And then after that, we will talk about pricing. Pricing is part of the uh, four P's, positioning, pricing, people and processes. Pricing is a very important part of that. Pricing is where Reza starts. And the most difficult thing to do within pricing is repricing your existing clients. We've all been there. We started small, desperately trying to get more clients. And the easiest way to do that is to compete on price, to undercut everybody else. And then, of course, after a year or two, you end up with a lot of clients on very low margins. And of course, sooner or later, that doesn't work anymore. So repricing your existing clients is essential to your growth, but it's also probably the hardest thing to do. You know, for example, processes, I think are not as difficult because with processes, we can still be nerdy. We can look at our screens and work out processes, etc. I think it's relatively easy to change processes. You just buy some shiny new objects, some software, you do some rewiggling, but I think processes is probably the easiest. The hardest, I think, is pricing and the hardest bit within that is repricing your existing clients. That's probably the hardest bit. Pricing itself is probably not so hard, but repricing your existing clients, that's the hard bit. So we will spend some time on that as well when we talk about pricing. Pricing is the focus of this episode, hence the name. Actually, I will have to call it repricing because we already have an episode about pricing with Ed Chen. So let's cut across. Number one, how it started. Cool. So I'm a, I'm a practice owner. Like many of your listeners, I still run an accountancy practice here in the south coast of, uh, of Hampshire in the UK. I've been doing that since about 2008 when I left the big four PwC to buy into this uh, small firm. I had a little bit of savings, not that much, but I took out a loan back in the day to buy into the firm. Thankfully, it was approved just before the financial crisis of 2008. So the loan was approved kind of December, January time. Suddenly then the credit crunch hit in March or something, 2008. 
And, uh, you know, we went into the, the worst uh, crisis since the Great Depression of the 30s. So there was no going back. You know, I'd already leveraged up to the hilt, the mortgage and all the rest of it. So there was no going back. It had to happen. But it was it was something that I always wanted to do, not necessarily run my own accounting firm, but always wanted to have my own business. And uh, I didn't really find any venture prior to deciding to buy into the accounting practice where we'd kind of mulled over quite a few uh, different ideas between me and my colleagues, uh, Peter who are on the same wavelength. But when it got to the point, actually, none of our ideas kind of uh, held any weight. And then I had got talking with my father-in-law, who was actually reaching retirement. And he was talking to sell his firm. Uh, and we were talking and uh, decided, well, actually, this is a business. It's something I've got experience in. I could come here and uh, take it forward. And uh, the rest is the rest of history. It was exciting to say, okay, well, this is kind of a traditional firm. I'm going to bring all this uh, forward thinking stuff from PwC and implement it into this firm. But it was crazy at the time because, um, I mean, something I'm very passionate about now is I'm quite anti-timesheet, but I actually introduced timesheets to a practice which didn't have timesheets back in the day. (laughs) That's something that I did. Uh, But also, you know, I was excited about going out and doing telemarketing and kind of getting new clients. So being on the road and winning clients and I got that buzz of winning clients, but I didn't really have a clue in terms of what I was doing in my pricing. So yes, we won clients, but we ended up winning them by lowballing other firms. So I uh, kind of realized uh, before long, after a year or two, that we've got you know lots of clients, but we're not really making any money. Uh, my staff are all fed up and stressed and they're leaving or high staff turnover because they're at capacity and they've got too much work going on. We didn't really have kind of systems in place. So clients weren't really getting the service that they wanted. So you know, one client would come in, two would leave things weren't in a happy place. And uh, three or four years in, I'm working uh, long hours, not really living the dream, you know, working weekends, evenings, high staff turnover, uh, high client turnover, and uh, something had to change. And uh, thankfully, back in 2014, I came across Mark Wickersham, who you've had on, on this pod in the past. He was my first mentor. So through Mark, I learned about pricing, value pricing, and realized that I was doing everything wrong. Uh, and that was my epiphany moment. That was the kind of turning po- moment for me when I first discovered that there is a better way of trading time for money. And that pricing really was the gateway to uh, getting out of this kind of mess that I was in. And when I started to learn and take action, start to get results, and slowly kind of started to transform my firm, my results, and ultimately my life from about 2014 point when I first came across value price. So that was a quick introduction into Reza's journey. So now let's cut across to the actual interview. When you were in this deep, dark hole where you were working long hours, very little margin, high staff turnover, high client turnover, did you ever think of leaving the industry? Very good question. And my answer to that would be that uh, although it was always there at the back of my mind that this was kind of the worst case scenario, I don't think I had a choice because I was in a situation where I had taken on a lot of debt to buy this practice. Plus, I had a, a young family as well. So I really had to make it work by hook or by crook because the the alternative would have been unfathomable. Yes, not to mention kind of financially disastrous, but also the shame, the embarrassment of not being able to succeed and having to go back to a day job and facing my colleagues in the workplace. I mean, that would have been the worst thing ever. 
So we had to make it work. We had to turn it around. And if it wasn't this business, then it would have been something else. But this was clearly something that um, we had already started and had uh, invested a lot of time, money, energy, effort into. So uh, we just had to find a way for it to succeed. Sorry to butt in. I just felt very much reminded of a previous talk we had done with Ed Chen of Chen and Naylor and also Wise Mentoring. In that episode, Ed Chen was also talking about how he was drowning in work and then something had to change. But he made a very good comment about that. Even if you decided to change industries, you would still not learn how to do the how. You would still be focused on the what. Let me just quickly play you that clip just being helpful, just wanted to help people. And of course, and then that sort of grew the practice and it just grew and grew and grew. And, and then I lost control of it because there was just too much work coming through. And then I had to then think, okay, how do I handle the work? Because I came across like a crossroads where I thought, I can't keep this going because it wasn't sustainable. Like I couldn't. Mm, I was only working, 24 hours. Yeah, I was working 100 hours a week back then and I had a young family. A daughter was just born and it was just killing me and the wife wasn't seeing me. And anyway, I was, I was thinking of selling the practice. And then um, I realized it wasn't what you did, but how you did it. Because if you don't change how you do it and then you change what you do, then within a few years, you'll replicate the problems you created in the first one in the second one. And you see clients do that. You know, my own tax clients used to sell this industry and go into another industry and then sell it and then go into another industry. They keep changing what they do, but they don't change how they do it. And that's not sustainable. So when I learned that, I changed how I did things. And then, you know, it's been really good to me since. So it was all in the how. It wasn't in the what. I'm not sure whether I spoke to you about that, but in the past, but it, it is definitely in, in the how. Everybody tells you what to do, but nobody tells you how to do it, you know, because I've been through the whole thing. And there's now 160 staff in the whole group. And the biggest challenge is actually managing people and leading them. That's the leadership people that's difficult and that's what people struggle with so that was a clip from back in episode 198 with Ed Chen it is interesting that Ed Chen started with people later on Reza Huda will mention the four P's people processes pricing and positioning and it is interesting that Ed Chen started with people whereas Reza Huda started with pricing. And talking about people, just quickly to reject your memory, this model of grinder, minder and finder, I'm pretty sure that was developed by Ed Chen, at least that's when I first heard about it. You have five grinders who do the actual work, one of them is the production manager, then you have a minder that manages this team and manages the uh, fee volume of up to a million Australian dollars, and then at the top you have the finder, the partner, who has up to five teams below him so manages up to five million dollars of turnover and this five million splits into five teams one million each and in each of these teams you have six people five grinders and a minder but now back to the actual interview with Reza Huda. Mark Wickersham that's where your whole journey started with you know looking more into practice management correct? Yeah, that's right. So when I was kind of in that situation where I didn't really know what to do and uh, was really swamped with everything that I came across, Mark's uh, stuff, I came across a webinar that he was running. I attended that webinar. It was all about pricing and that kind of 
opened my eyes and blew my mind as to what was possible. And I saw then that this potentially could have been the answer that I'm looking for, that all these years I've been thinking that I had to exchange my time for money. And that was the way of doing things. And Mark introduced me to this new way of pricing based upon the value that we deliver. So I joined his mentoring program back in 2014 and started to learn value pricing him. And he then opened my eyes and doors into this other world of where he'd learned from. And the people here, like Ron Baker, that he'd learned pricing from, but not just that, but also the fact that a lot of accountants see themselves as technicians. You know, we exchange one job for another job. You know, we're not really in business. We remain the technician. But actually, to be entrepreneurs, we need to develop the skills of business. And the skills of business are things like pricing, marketing, sales, leadership, you know, all these things, you know, systems management. These are the skills that we need to invest in learning as business owners in order for our businesses to be a success. So he opened my eyes to that. And then I went on a journey of reading and learning from other greats in other uh, industries and professions, particularly around culture and people and sales and leadership and marketing and brought all of that together with the pricing together and implemented it and then started to see results. And those results just compounded over time because you know the skills that you learn they never go, they never disappear. So it's a real investment when you read those books, when you go on a course, when you learn from others that have gone on the same journey as you that have been there and done it, that have made the mistakes. You, when you develop those skills and you learn from those people, that is an investment. You will never lose out on that. You will always make a return on that investment by investing in yourself. It's interesting that you and also Mark Wickersham, that you started with pricing because there are many ways into this. I think one is pricing, one is niching, one is marketing and one is systems. Why pricing and not, for example, systems or niching or marketing? So put very simply that Uh, pricing is basically the fastest way to generate profit. It's the most powerful lever in that profit equation. When you change your price, when you increase your prices, it flows through to the bottom line. And because that was the biggest pain point that I had, which many accountants have, that they're simply not making enough money. They have too many clients, they're working too many hours, and there just isn't really much left at the end of it. So if you can create that breathing room, that capacity, where you can get a bit more money and a bit more cash, then you don't have to have so many clients. You can let go of a few clients, create that capacity, that breathing room, which then allows you the headspace to then think about going to implement systems, thinking about your positioning strategy. Am I going after the right clients? Spending more time with your clients, you can add more value to the right type of clients that you have. So that's the reason. And I'm writing a book at the moment as well on my four pillars. And if you were starting from scratch, you start with positioning. Positioning is all to do with your business strategy. You need to know who it is that you want to go after, who is that one ideal client, that avatar that you are going to serve, that you can serve to the highest level. How can you position yourself as an expert to that particular individual, that particular sector, so that you become an expert, you become the credible authority, you can charge a higher price for what you do. So if you start from scratch, I'd say lead with positioning. But more often than not, when I'm talking to existing practice owners, pricing tends to be the root cause of all their problems. And it's the quickest way to get that breathing room, that cash in the bank, to then be able to invest time and energy into the other areas of the practice that need attending to. The most difficult hurdle are your existing clients because it's much easier with a new client to say, these are my prices, take it or leave it. But to move existing clients to a completely different price level, you know, to basically double your prices, 
that is really hard with existing clients. The conversation is a lot harder than when you talk to a new client because with a new client, it's more, you know, these are my prices, take it or leave it. But with an existing client, when you want to double the prices, that is an incredibly difficult conversation to have. Absolutely. It is. Yeah, no doubt it is. And uh, sometimes we just have to face the fear and do it anyway. And as you know, I mentor and coach other accountants and we have these conversations all the time. You know, how do I reprice my existing clients? If I am worried and scared that if I reprice them, they're going to leave. But actually in reality, and you know, evidence has shown, and this is why I love kind of, you know, I have this group of accountants where we can learn from each other, inspire each other, and people can share their stories. And by and large, the majority of people who, when they actually go through the process, find that they are always much better off than if they didn't do it at all, because you will lose fewer clients than you think. And even if you do lose clients, it's going to be win-win because you're going to lose those clients who aren't paying you what you're worth anyway. So you just have to, in terms of a process to go through, it's about, right, okay, and you've probably seen my three-step process. You've got to have a pricing structure in the first place. So what is your new pricing system? So whatever that pricing structure is, that's got to be consistent across the board. I say, right, this is my new pricing structure. Run all your existing clients through it and figure out where is the gap. What is the gap between what they should be paying, like what you would charge the new clients versus what they are paying? And that gap really is the money you're leaving on the table. Then it's a case of, right, okay, let's have a plan of attack. Let's now tackle this gap by focusing maybe on you know the larger ones first or focusing on those that are coming up for renewal. And now let's tackle them. And more often than not, when you do the numbers, when you put the numbers through to say, right, okay, well, if I increase my prices across the board, let's say on average, it amounts to a 50% price increase. You'll be amazed when you do the math that you could afford to lose a lot more clients than you think and still remain break even, i.e., you put up a 50% price increase in all your clients, lose 50% of your clients, but still be making the same amount of money, but have a lot less work to do. So when you actually run those numbers through, and we as accountants, we can do that. We can put together a very simple Excel model to find out what will happen if I put all my prices up, how many clients can I afford to lose and still be in the same position? And you'll be very surprised. So do that exercise, put a quick Excel model together, and no doubt that will give you the confidence to say, oh, fantastic. Yeah, I can absolutely do this and still afford to lose, you know, maybe half of my clients and be in the same position as I am now, but with a lot more time and energy to do the things that I really want to do and to be able to give my time and energy to those clients who do value what I do because they're prepared to pay what I'm asking. You mentioned the three-step pricing process. You said, you know, your pricing is in a three-step. I think you just explained it, but can you just quickly tell me what these three steps were? And then I will recognize what you just said. I just couldn't work out where the three steps are in what you just said. Sure. So this is a three-step repricing process. So when you are going, when you have this exercise, as you know, with most accountants, they're too cheap and they figure, okay, so where do I start? How do I start to reprice my existing clients? So the first step and the biggest step of all is to actually have a pricing system. Most accountants now, you know, many do because we've got software and things to help us. But if you don't have a pricing process, so if you are still just picking a figure out of thin air when you are going to have these pricing conversations, that's not going to work in the long term. So you need to have a way, whether it's three packages, whether it's a pricing system using a piece of software like Go Proposal or effective pricing or something like that, have a pricing system so that uh, you have somewhere where you can run clients through and say, yeah, this is what the price should be. So have a pricing system. You'll be using that pricing system for new clients anyway. 
So run your existing clients in through that pricing system. That's step two. So firstly, get a pricing system together, whatever it is, software, free packages, know what it is that you're going to be charging clients. So they're not only you, but also when you have a team, your team members can also have pricing conversations with clients because they have a system to follow as well. And we, as our accountants, you know, analytical minds, we need a system to follow. And that's why it helps to have a system when it comes to pricing. So the second step is to do a gap analysis. What is the gap? between what clients, existing clients should be paying versus what they are paying. And you will then come up with a number at the bottom, which will be your total gap, but you will have a gap line by line between what they are paying, what they should be paying. And then you can go through one by one or sort them from largest to smallest and tackle maybe the largest ones first, or you could tackle them based upon when their financial year end is coming up. So when their renewal is coming up, that's a good time to introduce the conversation around your renewal is coming up, your service renewal is coming up for your accountancy services. Can we have a chat or bolt it to the end of your year end meeting with the client? And one thing to note here, when you're doing a repricing, you need to give a reason. So like you say, the challenge is because I'm not doing anything different. The client is getting the same service from me, but I want to charge 30, 40% higher. Why would the client accept this? Give a reason. And even if that reason is that I didn't know what I was doing before, I didn't have a system before, you were undercharged before, that is fine. Any of those reasons will fly. The fact that you have standardized your pricing process, the client was being undercharged, and this is what it is now. That is fine. That is all the client needs to know. And then it's a case for them to accept whether the price you are charging still represents value for them. And ultimately, that is the only question going through their mind. Is the price I'm paying less than the value I am getting? That is very helpful. Just to summarize, so the three-step repricing process, so how you reprice your existing clients. The first one is get a system. So use goal proposal, have a price list, have something standardized with respect to pricing. The second step is to run your existing client through it and see how much you should be charging and how much you're charging at the moment. And then the third step is actually having the pricing conversation with your clients and increasing the price. Did I get that right? Spot on. You did indeed. Coming back to your story about how you, I think you took out a 200,000 British pounds loan, correct? When you purchased your practice. That is a big loan. You know, it takes guts. I find that very impressive. Would you do that again in the current environment? And the reason I ask is because the industry is niching a lot. You know, we are all moving into niches. Yeah, very good question. I guess it always depends on, you know, kind of where you are, what you're doing, how quickly you want to get to where you want to get to. But given that uh, the journey that I've gone on, and you may know that I teach accountants marketing as well, and I put together a power positioning program last year, where I said, not only would I teach you marketing, but I would also do it with you. So I'm going to set up a new accounting firm brand from scratch, we're going to have a separate niche, and I'm going to do everything that I'm teaching you. And I'm going to give you everything that I'm using. And let's see what happens. My aim is that we'll get to 100k in 12 months. Let's see what happens. And we got to 100k in nine months. So given what I know now, and given the fact that I know I can set up something and how easy it is nowadays, it might not be, it's simple, but it might not be easy because you still have to do the work. But given what we have at our disposal now in terms of being able to reach people at scale through the internet, through social media, which wasn't as prevalent when I started back in 2008, I would learn the, the ropes when it comes to pricing and marketing and positioning. 
and start from scratch because I could get to where I want to get to a lot faster and not have to deal with tidying up someone else's mess. If I'm buying a generalist practice, there's always going to be issues to sort out and you end up just getting stuck in the weeds and having to uh, probably get rid of half the clients anyway because they're not a good fit for what you do. So I would prefer just to start off on the right foot, know exactly who my market is, start generating content for that particular market, build out a brand appealing to a certain type of uh, individual and uh, and take it from there. Number two, value pricing. We were hourly billing, right? Because that's all I knew. I came from PwC, PwC used to hourly bill. They used to keep timesheets. So that was the only thing that I knew. And I realized that actually that's not what clients are buying from us. Clients are not buying time from us. Clients are buying a result, an outcome and a solution. So really what we need to do in our pricing is we need to get better articulating what is our value. People buy based upon value, nothing else. So the only calculation going on in people's minds is, is the price I am paying less than the value I'm getting? And when the value is greater, I buy. And that applies to anything that we buy in life. So actually really understanding what our value is and that clients want certainty. When we buy anything in life, we want certainty. We want to know exactly what we're paying and what we're getting. And the other thing that helps when we are pricing is that clients also like choice. So when we buy something, we're more likely to pay more for something if we are given choice in the things that we buy. So you allow clients to buy rather than you having to sell. So those two things were kind of a turning point, certainty and choice. And I started to then build my pricing models to offer certainty and choice to clients and realizing that different people value things differently. So by offering options, you know, three option pricing, that sort of thing to differentiate between the person that just wants the basics done and the person that wants to pay a little bit more because they want more value, actually understanding that different people value things differently and therefore different people should have different prices. Again, that helped to transform our results. And within the space of about 24 months, we went from chasing clients for money, actually having debtors because you used to bill after the work was done to actually winning a one-off project for £135,000 from one client and taking our firm to revenue of about a million pounds with just seven people. So it really was a, a massive transformation in a sort of two to three period, period. Period. You talk a lot about value pricing. How is value pricing different from fixed pricing? And are you really doing value pricing or isn't it more fixed pricing? <laughs> Good question. I think as accountants, we get hung up on these definitions. And in my view, actually, value pricing isn't a thing. It's just something we accountants have made up to differentiate from time-based pricing, just to kind of have that uh, differentiation between the two. In reality, we are always value pricing, no matter what we do, because as far as customers are concerned, they buy based upon value. So the only calculation going on in our customer's mind when they see a price, when we buy anything, is the price I'm paying less than the value we are getting. So we are always pricing based upon value. And everyone is always priced based upon value because that's how customers buy. So whether you know you call it value pricing or fixed pricing or subscription pricing, we're always value pricing. So in reality, what we need to do is to get a better understanding. What is value in the eyes of the customer? How can I demonstrate that value? And I like to see it as two things, like an iceberg. You've got stuff above the surface, which is the perceived value. And then you've got everything below the surface, which is the actual value you deliver once a client comes on board. So perceived value plays a big role when a client is looking to work with you. 
do you come across as someone who understands their problem? What does the look and feel of your brand look like? What does the look and feel of your website look like, of your online profiles? Are you a specialist? Because if you are, I'm going to perceive your value to be greater because I feel that you understand me better than a generalist would. What does the look and feel of the Zoom call that I have with you look like? Do I see a cold clothes horse in the background or is it you know, very professional? And what is the booking system like of uh, you know, booking a call with you? you know, do I have to play telephone tennis with your uh, secretary or is there a seamless procedure from website asking me a few questions, getting into a diary, being able to book a call with you, getting reminders before I get there. What is it like when I come up to your offices? You know, is it nice? Do I have a VIP parking space outside? Am I greeted warmly by the receptionist? Am I given a nice coffee menu to choose from? Am I given coffee and tea in a nice china cup? Or do you give me a mug from the last accountancy roadshow you attended? All these things add just the perceived value of a customer. This is how we buy. Pricing is all about look and feel and judgments that people are making and feelings that we have. So we need to get better at increasing our perceived value. And then when the client comes on board, knowing what true value is to a customer. And true value is all about you know, helping a client to make more money and giving them back more time, taking away pain and helping them get to their goals, pleasure. So it's those four value umbrellas that talk about more time, more money, less pain, more pleasure. That is the actual value we deliver. If we can look at what we do in the context of those value drivers, what's important to a client, the benefits to a client, then that's how we drive up the overall value, the size of the iceberg that a client uh, sees. Can I get your input on one argument that is very often used? And the argument is that, for example, if I save you $100,000 in tax, then my service to you is basically worth just short of $100,000. Because if I charge you $99,999, it's still less than the value. And my thinking is, That is actually not the value because if somebody else can save you $100,000 in tax by just charging you $10,000 for the service, then the value of my service immediately has come down to $10,000, what the competition is charging. I'm, I don't think I make my point very clear here, but what I'm saying is just because I save you $100,000 in tax doesn't mean that the perceived value of my service is worth a charge of $100,000. It very much depends on what everybody else is delivering the service for, the same service for. And I think the um, stress is on the word same. And that's why you need to go into a niche because once you're in a niche, there's a lot less same and hence you're more free to set your price. Mm, yeah, absolutely. In that sense, I guess it's a case of, yes, it's all about pricing. It's about taking a share of the value you create. And ultimately, the arbiter of whether that split of the value between you and your customer will be your customer. Your customer will be the one who will agree whether the share you are proposing is palatable and agreeable to them or not. So if you want to take 99 cents of the 100 cents that you save, chances are your client won't be happy with that because you're taking a much greater share of the pie, as it were. But anything less than 50% would be deemed to be fair. It's win-win. As long as it's win-win for you and the client, then you know that is a starting point. So at the end of the day, all you can do is to increase that perceived value and deliver on the actual value. And then it will be up to the client to decide in their minds whether they're still getting value for or not based upon the price that you want to deliver that value you're getting. But ultimately, it's about you know if we can continue to, to drive up the value and keep reminding them of, because if you're a recurring service and 
there's a difference between we have our recurring services and then we have ad hoc services. If in our recurring services, we happen to say a client is paying us four or $5,000 a year, and we just happen, you know, through something in the course of the year, we happen to save them, you know, 20,000 pounds. It could be that that's just part and parcel of the recurring service. And we're not going to charge them any extra for it, but we let them know that. So we log it in their mind. And I have a resource that I share with my uh, accounting audience, which is your value register. So you log these things. You log these uh, value register, whether it's a, uh, a recurring saving that the client is getting or a one-off saving, so that anytime you have an issue about fees, because clients have short memories, they're going to forget mm. what you did last year. They're going to forget what you did last month. So have a value register, because when you have those conversations, you can quickly bring it up and say, oh, actually, you know, by the way, do you remember last year when we did X, Y, and Z and you saved this amount? Reminds them of the link between what you're charging and what they got. So again, there's different ways of doing it, but ultimately all the time we have to be driving home our value in the eyes of a client because that's all that matters to them. So this was the first part of our interview with Reza Huda. It mainly focused on pricing, hence we will call this episode pricing or something similar. Next week we will continue. We will talk about core systems And then also about niching and the four pillars of pricing positions, people and process. That's going to come next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you to class for the support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <music>